Hello everyone and welcome to another episode in the Shared Ireland podcast series. Once again, due to the ongoing restrictions from COVID-19 and social distancing, we're conducting today's interview via phone. So apologies in advance if um, maybe the sound quality isn't what it should be. So moving on to our guest today, she is an Irish singer and a politician. She is an independent senator elected to Senate Ireland on her first attempt in 2016. She's also an addiction counsellor and founder of the RISE charity. The RISE charity supports family members who have a loved one, maybe with an alcohol, drug or gambling problem. Musically, she has had several hits around the world, but my personal favourite is this one. That was a little um, extract there from Francis' um, version of Wall of Tears, featured on the album A Woman's Heart. It gives Shared Ireland great pleasure to introduce Francis Black. Welcome along to the Shared Ireland podcast, Francis. Thank you very much. Good to talk to you now. Francis, tell me this before we go any further. Um, how are you coping with lockdown? It's, you know... Imagine, um, I it, it can be very challenging at times, and I'm sure people will identify. Your listeners will identify with that. Um, I'm working from home at the moment, and I am kept very busy. I know a lot of people out there are painting their houses and doing their garden, and uh-huh. fortunately, I don't really have a huge amount of time to do that because I am working. I, as you know, I, I, I mean, I got a, a re-elected into Shannon Aaron, so I'm continuing to do a lot of work. Uh, uh, from home, um, and particularly on the legislation that I was working on before I before the election, and mm-hmm. um, I'm working on that. There's a lot of Zoom calls and conference calls, um, and then also I'm very, I suppose, very very busy with the Rise Foundation. Yes, and um, because the Rise Foundation, obviously, people are feeling more stressed and more anxious, and when you're living with somebody that might have a an addiction problem, and um, it could be very heightened at this time. Of course it so could. I'm very busy with all of that. We have board meetings and, and, and all of that that keeps me going. Um, and I try and get a walk in. The most difficult part for me, uh, to be honest, is not seeing my grandchildren. I haven't seen them since the lockdown. Mm-hmm. Um, my, my son and his wife are obviously sticking very, and rightly so, to the guidelines. Mm-hmm. Um, I haven't seen them. I haven't seen my my son and, and his wife, and I haven't seen my daughter Eva. Uh, she lives out Kildare, so that's the most difficult. I, 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 for me, I mean, we are a very close family. 
um, we spend probably nearly every Sunday together. We have Sunday dinner together and all of that. I find that very difficult. Yes, and, of course. Uh, now I know that you know for for a lot of people they have much much worse problems, but I do struggle with that. And I have down days because of that. Yes. You know. But apart from that, I'm keeping very busy. No, as you mentioned there, Francis, um, obviously, you know, the, the, our family and friends in all of our lives are the most important, important things in life. But, but like all things, we can take people for granted at times. And, and I echo what you're only after saying there. I know my sentiment coming out of this will be initially to try and spend as much time again with my family as possible because you know when we boil everything down in life you know what have we and what are we without the love and support of our family a family family for me is everything yeah absolutely no matter what goes on in my life and as you know i'm you know i'm I'm a performer i'm a musician i'm a i'm you know i'm a politician and i'm also a therapist and and while i love my three careers my three jobs Mm -hmm. and i work very hard on all of them but for me, family is number one, and family is always priority. Um, and I and I and I struggle when I don't get to see them. And I'm sure there are many people out there who can identify. Uh, it must be very, very difficult for the older, older generations who are in nursing homes or who are completely and utterly isolated, who can't get out. I mean, I can get out of my house and go for a walk, um, but it must be so lonely for people who can't get out and and go for that walk and. And maybe can't use the online stuff. That's right. And FaceTime or WhatsApp, mm-hmm. all of that, you know. Yeah, certainly. So, look, I'm not complaining. No, no, no. By no means does it come across like you are either. I just think people will identify with that lack of connection with yeah. family. I think that's the most difficult, one of the most difficult. Yeah, it certainly is. Francis, um, we normally start by asking our guests to outline a little bit about their early years and background, just for the benefit of any listeners who may not be familiar with you. And I imagine there probably won't be that many that aren't familiar with you. But um, if you wouldn't mind, Francis, just giving us a, paint us a little bit of a picture about your early years and I guess ultimately what shaped the person that you are today. Well, I suppose I'm the youngest of um, five children. I'll try and keep it short as far as I can. I'm the youngest of five children. Um, My sister Mary, well, Shay, my brother is the eldest, then Michael, then my sister Mary, then my brother Martin, and then me. And we were all born and reared in inner city Dublin, um, in the tenements, uh, in a place called Charlemagne Street, a wonderful community, uh, spirited community, and Everybody, where everybody looked after everybody else, and you know, even though people had very little, um, you know, my mother would have looked after older people, or you know, she would have always had an extra dinner for somebody if she thought they, they didn't have enough food on the table or whatever. She sounds like the typical Irish mother. Sorry. She sounds like a typical Irish mother. She was a she was an amazing woman, an amazing, strong, tough uh, warrior, is what I would describe. Yes. I mean, there was times when my father. You know, didn't get work, and and she would go out and you know take on a job cleaning offices or cleaning schools just to make sure that there was always food on the table. We never we never went hungry, and there was lots of families in our community who would have went hungry, which we never we were lucky. So you know, she was an amazing woman, and um, but as they say, I know that uh, times were hard for her in particular, but she was a great, a wonderful person that just kept going and never gave up. She yeah. never quit. You mm-hmm. know? Very good. 
and then my father, my father then was in a lovely man. He was a very soft gentleman, a country man. He came from Rathlin Island. I've spoken often about Rathlin Island. He came from that lovely island just off North Antrim there. And uh, he came down from Rathlin um, at a young age and uh, he, he served his apprenticeship as a plaster and, and he met my mother on a blind date and that's how... <laughs> very good. And um, yeah, and that's how and they moved into Charlemagne Street and then they had all of us. They had five kids in, in a 10 year period. And we were a small family, you know, in comparison to other families mm-hmm. on our street. Five was a small, but they were, they were late getting married. My mother was 33. My father was well into his 40s. So that was unusual at the time. Mm-hmm. But look, I mean, as I say, Charlemagne Street, a great place to be to be reared in. Um, and then we were lucky that we were able to go to Rathman for our summer holidays. That's yeah. going to give you a, 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 a kind of a picture. No, that's very kind and, and that's yeah. great. You mentioned just there, I was going to ask you this question later on in the podcast, Francis, but now is as good a time as any, uh, about your father um, coming from Rathlin Island. Is it a place that you get back to often nowadays? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I get, I'm up there at least, well, I suppose I haven't got up as much this year, but yeah. certainly... Most years I'd get up there three, four, five times a year, um, and any time I get a break, I'm up there. Mm-hmm. Because for me, it's my, I can only describe it as my spiritual home. Yes, I can imagine. It's a place that I can rest, it's a place that I feel completely and utterly at one. Uh, it's a beautiful, beautiful island. That The old house is still there. We were very lucky. We got it kind of, we got it done up. I mean, it always needs work, mm-hmm. but the old house is still there, so... We go up and bring up all the family. I would have been up there this Easter, actually, mm-hmm. uh, for at least a week if we were able to travel, but unfortunately we weren't. And I probably would have been up the May Bank holiday weekend as well. So, like, I try and get up there as much as I can. I'd be, hopefully we might get up over the summer, depending on the HSE guidelines. Exactly. But, and obviously depending on the island as well, because mm-hmm. they are very strict and they're very strong guidelines themselves. Mm-hmm. So, and rightly so. So, yeah... Just, just out of curiosity, Francis, are, are you aware has anyone on Rathlin um, contracted um, COVID? No, there, there have been no cases at all on the island, um, and because they have been very strict with their guidelines, mm-hmm. um, there's no people travelling back and forth on the boat, only for obviously like um, um, frontline workers, like the nurse would, would go back and forth, mm-hmm. um, and then the boat would bring back food back and forth from, from the mainland to the island mm-hmm. and then people will go down and pick up their their packages or their, their messages or their groceries mm-hmm. from the boat but they, they, they haven't worked out that they pick up the groceries at different times mm-hmm. so no, they don't let, they're not letting anybody on or off the island at this time mm-hmm. and, I, and I guess that should lead on to um, another subject that we'll talk about later is being an island, just like Ireland is, is a perfect defence mechanism for a lot of things. But obviously in this um, current subject, COVID-19, you know. Absolutely. I mean, you know, I mean, last week um, I was very fortunate to be asked to chair a webinar where we, we were t- I was talking to three um, eminent, probably eminent in the top, the top health specialists. That would be Professor Gabriel Scali, Jim Dornan, and um, what do you call the female Francis M? Um, um, Ilona, Ilona Duffy. Yes, Dr. Ilona Duffy, that's correct. 
yeah, yeah, just, just, just on that, as you said, you chaired an online discussion with them, and um, I, I guess the whole nature of that was to try and develop an island-wide healthcare service in general. Um, yeah. and, and I suppose I was going to ask you just a couple of wee quick questions on that, if you don't mind. What were the key takeaway points from that discussion, do you feel, Francis? from that discussion that there's no doubt about that if small island of ours needs, you know, we have to consider uh, having one health service catering for all our citizens north and south. Mm -hmm. You know, this this small island, it it shouldn't have a two-tier approach to health, all mental health. You know, now I know I'm thrown in mental health, the discussion wasn't on mental health last week, Mm -hmm. but I do think that that's really important. Of course. one point that came out of that discussion was that in 2001, uh, we adopted the joint approach to support mouth outbreak, yes. um, which worked very well. It did. And we acted as, as you know, we acted as one, and we, we combat very quickly, you know, this co- common virus. So, you know, it, it just makes sense that we take that same avenue like that. And, and, and we have to highlight that surely human welfare is as important as animal welfare, and that really was a very strong point, I think, that came out um, last week. Um, you know, it just makes sense that this small island of ours needs one health certification for all our citizens. Francis, I I obviously, I listened to the live broadcast that you chaired last Thursday evening. Um, But for the benefit, again, of our listeners, for anybody that maybe didn't hear it, could you maybe summarise, or was this discussed, what do you believe or what did your guests believe was the main opposition to having an island-wide health service? Well, I suppose, you know, I mean, I suppose maybe fear. Um, fear that if we had an all, that it would be, you know, obviously, the political side of things is going to be, you know, we have to look at that. And, and I suppose the fact that there would be fear maybe from some unionists around the fact that if we have an all-island health system um, that we're aiming then towards a united Ireland. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and really, you know, we have to look at the fact that I really genuinely believe that, you know, health and, and mental health, you know, knows no borders or boundaries, really. Yes. No, health doesn't discriminate. No. Um, and I think that's why you know, we have to be we have to be mindful of wouldn't it be brilliant for the citizens of this country if we had an all island health service and that we were able to work together. Particularly now, I think, you know, the COVID nineteen is a perfect time for us to do this. I mm. mean and and I think there was a somewhere I read somewhere that if like for example, if you live in, in, in Strabane, County Tyrone, um, and and you need to self isolate, you know, and, and but the authorities tell you to do so for, for maybe a period of seven days. Yes. You know, 30 seconds over the bridge, Donegal, you're self-isolated for 17 days, for 17, for 14 days. 14 days, that's correct. Another, another example of how a two-tier approach to health can, can confuse people yes. and can cause absolute havoc. Certainly, certainly. No, it, when you put it in that context, particularly in the current climate that we are living in, you know, having a two-tier approach to anything, never mind our health, yeah. um, it, it is slightly madness. And, and I guess, you know, share, speaking 
from a shared Ireland point of view here, we are advocates of, um, you know, a united Ireland. But, you know, sometimes it's better off not using that terminology, united Ireland. You know, that's why we created the name shared Ireland, because, you know... Or new Ireland, or, you know, and, you know, and I think that's why, I think, for example, you know, I think health, particularly, you know, a unified approach to health... Yes. ...would be so powerful, and it's a perfect example how... This is how we're going to work together for the citizens on this island. Yeah, it's something, as you, as you, a word that you mentioned, Francis, it does not discriminate. Whether you're Leo Varadkar living in Dublin, um, one of the Healy Rays living in Cork, Arlene Foster in Fermanagh or wherever, you know, unfortunately, health will knock, you know, ill health will knock at all of our doors, unfortunately, at some yeah. stage in our lives, like, you know. Absolutely, absolutely. And I think, you know, I think, why not put copy other health models in other countries and yeah you know and, and, and obviously if we could start by paying our own you know our, our health workers what they deserve absolutely absolutely so I mean, if, if this virus is taught anything at all without our frontline workers we have absolutely nothing so wouldn't it be great if we could just set aside our political differences and let us all work together and and, and show how we can we can be united in, in, in a common cause. Absolutely, Francis. I, I echo that. And I also believe that any right-thinking person, regardless of political differences, would also echo them sentiments. Absolutely. So what's the space on that front, I guess? Francis, um, you chaired that online debate on behalf of a civic group called Ireland's Future. Am I, am I correct in thinking you're actually chairperson of that civic group? I, I, I got thought into becoming the chairperson, but it is something that I am, um, yeah, I mean, they, Ireland Future, um, the group, they're, they're a, a fantastic group of citizens yes. who have come together. And, and this is a civic group, Francis, um, that is island-wide, isn't that correct? Absolutely. Um, an island-wide uh, civic group who have come together um, and really are working towards calling for a citizens' assembly and, you know, and starting the conversation off mm-hmm. around um, what the New Ireland would look like. To plan and prepare. Planning and prepare for what the New Ireland would look like. Mm-hmm. And I believe, you know, this is absolutely crucial, crucial that this conversation is being led by civil society. Um, you know, and it's about... You know, we can't we can't just treat this as an issue solely for politicians. No, like, certainly. We do have an important role, but what we need is a broader, uh, more meaningful public discussion about the future of our shared Ireland, and one that invites us all to reflect on the kind of society we want to live in. Yeah, absolutely. And I know I'm a legislator, and you know, uh, and, but I'm also a musician. I'm also a therapist, but. As my, as my, with my role as a legislator, I, I've thought to raise this issue um, in many, in not only public discussions in Belfast when when they had the big event there last year and yours, uh, but also inside the, the walls of Leinster House. And, and from my perspective as an independent senator, I, I just think that we have to see these questions raised by civil society. Um, and and like I want, I suppose my my colleagues in the political sphere to, to recognise that these conversations are happening and, and to get engaged with them uh, in a very meaningful way. Yeah, you know? So that's what I really believe. 
we have to start somewhere. Yeah. You know, and we know we we see what happens with Brexit. Um, I have, you know, I'm on the, the implementation of the Good Friday Committee uh, in Leinster House, the Cross Party Oireachtas Committee, and we've had recently, or last year when when the committee was was up and running, and um, we have we had uh, Professor Colin Harvey. He came in and he spoke very passionately um, about about many questions, you know, that's happening around. And, and all, all of the issues around Brexit. And he produced his Irish passport, and he asked members directly. He put it up and he held it up in his hand. And I'll never forget now, he said, what would this document, this document mean after Brexit? He said, how will Irish citizens in the North also entitled to EU citizenship and all the benefits that come with it be able to exercise their rights? You know, I mean, and he said, will they be represented in the European Parliament and other EU institutions? And if not, how can we address this democratic deficit? Yeah. So Brexit, by its very nature, threatens cross-border divergence on a whole range of issues, from mm-hmm. education to environmental standards. So, look, under the, under, under the, the Good Friday Agreement, the European Convention on Human Rights is incorporated into domestic law and into the North, and as well as in the South. So, you know, protecting against discrimination on a range of grounds. So, yeah. look, we have, that's why this conversation, you know, if we have to start this conversation, north and south, and already it's happening. I've been invited to many different, um, around the country, to many different uh, meetings, public meetings, to talk about this issue. And now is the time to start it. And it's now is the time to start talking about planning and preparing what a United, United Ireland or what New Ireland would look like uh, and, and you know and, and again this is, this is from the people the people are calling for these conversations absolutely and, and funny, Francis, I just noted, I'm going to, first of all, just say that you and I are speaking on Wednesday, the 13th of May. So this podcast will be released over the next day or two. But the reason why I am um, date stamping this podcast publicly here is because I noticed uh, just recently within the past couple of hours that Ogra Fina Foyle has issued a statement on social media calling for the establishment of a citizens' assembly to plan, prepare and discuss Irish reunification. And, you know, that fills me personally with so much joy. And I'll tell you why, Francis, if you don't mind, because coming from a party that is predominantly um, 26th counties, you know, they, they don't stand for electoral office here in the north of Ireland. But, you know, to see somebody wanting to have this conversation, and, and my only wish now is that Ogre Fianna Fáil can, can, I suppose, get through to the people that are currently leading their own party. Yeah. And, and, yeah. and, and, you know, let them spell it out instead of shared Ireland, Ireland's future, Think 32's, Yes for Unity, Colin Harvey, whoever, because, you know, they, they are the future of our country, you know, our youth. Yeah. And, and to see any OGRA movement um, looking to have a sensible, adult, grown-up conversation, while we all certainly will not agree on everything, even including pro-Unity voices, but at least let's have a conversation because I guess 100%. when it comes down to it, like... You, like, you know, if we don't start having these discussions now, we 
find yourself in the catch-22 position, you know. And, like, the reality is, is that we can't consider, like, the potential for border poll without detailed planning. Exactly. You know, and any efforts to do that detailed planning are, you know, are, are, are absolutely... It's just uh, too soon. And, know, and I think, Francis, all we have to do is look back to the Brexit shambles because, you know, while there was dark money fired at advertising... And people were thought they knew what they're voting for. But let's be honest about it here. The majority of people in my family and family circle, you know, actually came to me before the vote of Brexit and says, what way should I vote? And and there was only one reason why they were asking that question is because they simply didn't know. So, so why should them same mistakes be made around such a significant event in our country? You know, it simply is ludicrous to suggest that, that you know, we should not have a detailed conversation. Yeah, exactly. And I really genuinely believe that if we do this planning and research and properly, and if we honestly and openly set out what a new constitutional future or border poll could mean, it can, it can improve our capacity to address issue respectfully. Of course. So if everyone is given the chance to set out their views in whatever direction, it can make the prospect clearer and more knowable. Yeah. And we know what we're dealing with, you know. So, like, I just think now is the time to converse. Like, we have to stop kind of dilly-dallying, pussy-footing around the, this issue. You know, I feel sometimes people are fearful to talk about they don't want to upset, you know. Well, well one of the common... Um, one, one of the, the things that really irritates me, Francis, uh, coming from all quarters, whether it be a northern political parties, um, English political parties or southern Ireland political parties, is, is this line that now is not the right time to talk about Irish reunification during the Brexit negotiations. I find that, and I'm, I'm just going to be honest, I find that type of talk actually offensive. Because who are you or anybody else to tell me that I should not have a conversation about the reunification of my own country? You know, how dare you? Because all I want to do is, the message here is have a conversation. I'm not looking to ram it down anyone's throat. Yeah. I simply want to have a conversation about it. You know, what, what's wrong with that? And people around the country want to have a conversation about it. Yeah. And I think, you know, like... Should we know even that at an academic level? Yes. Like, you know, look at the recent project that was launched by Trinity College, uh, UCD, University College yes. London. Uh, even Ulster University and Queen's University, on their own, you know, have a conversation, conversation about what a border poll could mean in practice. You yeah, know, that's they're right. all doing these projects. So, you know, it, 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 people are hungry for this, you know, and I feel that time that. You know, the politicians were open to talking about it. And that really does my heart good. Mm-hmm. Think that over Peter Paul are, are, looking, are calling on this as well. And, and in fairness, I, we shared Ireland recently done a podcast with um, Jude Perry, who is um, Ogra Fine Gael. Uh, Jude actually set up the first branch of Fine Gael in Queen's University. And in fairness to Jude, um, he also was advocating a citizens' assembly to discuss, plan, and prepare uh, future um, border polls. So, yeah. so I, I guess um, the message coming that I am here and coming from the youth branches is that they are eager to talk and plan. You know. Yeah. Well, let's get talking to them. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Fra- Francis. Call, I think we need to call them the government. 
recognise, you know, this great change that we're, we're living through and to call a citizens' assembly and to discuss how we should best, you know, how we should best respond. Like, if I remember rightly, I don't know if you know the old uh, Seamus Heaney, who I absolutely love, he, famous, he famously asked us at a time of similar uncertainty and possibility to believe that a future show is reachable from here. Mm-hmm. I really believe that that call rings true today. Yeah. Our, ta- our task now is to set out what um, um, a, 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 a new Ireland would look like and let's get this citizens assembly yeah, absolutely. Francis, just before we leave the topic of Ireland's future and their initiatives, um, just where can people who are interested and maybe missed your uh, conversation with uh, Professor Gibran, Gabriel Scali um, last Thursday, where can they access it? Do you know? Now, there is a very good question um, because I wouldn't be the kind of the, the technical uh, person behind it all. But I would imagine if you go on to the Ireland Future uh, website or go on to any of the Ireland Future Facebook page, Ireland Future uh, uh, Twitter account, and uh, it should be on one of them, but I, to be genuinely honest with you, I'm not 100% sure. Yeah, no, I, I, think, I think you name-checked them all there. Ireland's Future is on Twitter, they're on Facebook, on Twitter, they're, on Facebook. they are on Instagram. And, and they actually are on YouTube as well. Yeah. Uh, just, um, I can say, just before we go off this, you obviously had a successful, uh, your first successful public event uh, in the Waterfront Hall um, 18 months, two years ago, Francis. Um, is there anything else significant in the pipeline coming from Ireland's future in the not too distant future? Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, um, you know, we've had to park that for the time being. But it doesn't mean that we're not still working away on stuff. So I would imagine we would be looking at going forward uh, more discussions, more conversations online yes. um, around this issue. Yeah, um, yeah. But I would, I would encourage people to go onto the Facebook page of Ireland Future and Twitter and all of the information um, will be on anything that's going to be coming up. Lovely. Thanks for that, Francis. Francis, I'm sure I wasn't alone in seeing you, uh, your sister, Mary Coughlin, and um, along with Sharon Shannon on the Late Late Show last Friday night. Um, Absolutely beautiful music. But the reason why I mention this, Francis, is could you again, for the band of our listeners who maybe didn't see the show, what was the main reason why you and other musicians this past month or so have been coming on to highlight what charity exactly? Well, I suppose, and I think it's a fantastic idea by the Late Late Show, each, each week they pick a charity uh, and they get people to donate to that charity. Yes. And then they have musicians like ourselves uh, highlighting the importance of the work that that particular charity is doing. Now, I felt all of the charities have been amazing. In fact, when I looked through the late, late over the last few weeks, I, 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 you know, every single charity in some way touches my heart. Mm -hmm. So, um, they're all amazing, unbelievable uh, charities. And then the week that we were there, myself, Mary, my sister Mary, 
Mary Coughlin and Sharon, my two good friends, uh, but for Pieta House. Um, and and really, Pieta is an organisation that um, helps people who might have thought of suicide mm-hmm. or uh, maybe self-harm. Yeah. And they also run um, um, a programme, I think, or certainly they have one-to-ones that support family members who may lost a loved one to suicide. So, uh, fantastic organisation. And of course, they didn't do their... This year, they didn't do their um, uh, morning run, uh, what's it called, Darkness Into Light, Darkness yeah. Into Light Walk, which is their biggest fundraiser for the year. So they decided that they would hold this late, late show, and they raised two million, which was just unbelievable. I, I was astounded by that. I, I don't know the, the length of the late, late show, but it's about an hour and 40, an hour and 50 minutes, and for the Irish public to donate Two million euro in that short period of time was honestly, I was, I was speechless nearly. I was too. We were absolutely honoured to have been part of that amazing uh, night. Mm-hmm. Fra- Francis, that leads me on to, as I mentioned in the introduction, you are an addiction counsellor yourself, and you also founded the Rise Charity. Now, Shared Ireland have done several podcasts with our guests surrounding well-being and mental health awareness. We, as a group, firmly believe there is no point looking for a new, inclusive Shared Ireland for all our people unless our nation's welfare is looked after in all its aspects. Can you give some background, Francis, on the Rise Foundation, uh, please? And I guess... The, the aims and goals and what ultimately encouraged you to take this initiative, if you don't mind? Sure. Well, the Wise Foundation is an organisation, a charitable organisation that I set up back in 2009. Um, and the inspiration, I suppose, for it was in the early 2000s, I, I, the thing is, I liked to go school when I was about 16. Um, uh, I, I never liked school, and I, I, you know, I just wanted to get out as soon as I could. Yeah. But after my mother passed away in two thousand and three, uh, she left us all a small amount of money, not much, but I wanted to do something that you know made a difference with that money. So I decided to go back to college. Okay. And I think she would have been proud of that. I went back to college to study to be an addiction therapist, and I ended up training and working in a treatment centre here in Dublin called the Rutland Treatment Centre. Mm-hmm. And while I loved working with those who were trying to get into recovery from addiction, it was there that I started to meet up with family members whose loved one would have been in the, the Rutland Treatment Centre. And they would have to come in and they would come into the group therapy environment and talk about what it was like for them watching their loved one go down this route of self-destruct. Mm-hmm. So, um, but what I, what I also discovered when, when talking to the family members before and after, they were absolutely distraught. Their anxiety was through the roof. And often family members had so much, I suppose, stress and anxiety. And I would safely say trauma mm-hmm. from watching. If you have, the reality is that you have a, a partner or a, a, a parent or a ch- an adult child who has an addiction problem or a, or a brother or a sister who has an addiction problem, the, the anxiety you feel as you watch them go down that route of self-destruct can be so self-destructive yeah. to the family member. Of course. So I, I, I saw how family members were 
coaster of very, I suppose, unhealthy emotions. Uh, not a lot of it being hypervigilance mm-hmm. because of the trauma. So I decided that, you know, I remember meeting one woman in particular who I felt was really distraught. And as I watched her walk out of the gate of the Rutland with her two small children, and she was only worried about her husband and how he was going to get recovery, that she couldn't even be present to herself or her children yes. with her anxiety, that I decided to set up um, a treatment centre specifically for family members. Now, not it's not like, um, you know, uh, uh, a volunteer organisation that kind of... Ha- it's actually, uh, we have a team of highly um, experienced therapists who solely work with the family members' recovery. Yes. I genuinely believe that family members need their own separate recovery from the person in addiction. The person in addiction needs their own recovery and the family member needs their own recovery. Francis, sorry for for interrupting here, but would this be something similar to the the AA process of Alnon for the family members? Something... has a team of therapists for people in addiction mm-hmm. and then what they do is they refer on to the likes of AA or Gavinon or Naranon yes. where we are a treatment centre for family members mm-hmm. and we run programs, we have a one-to-one counselling service and then we refer on to the likes of Alanon or Naranon or Gavinon. Yes. Does that make sense? Yes, of so course it does. Like a treatment centre with a team of highly um, highly experienced therapists, uh, highly skilled therapists, uh, who we run programs, we have a one-to-one service uh, where people come to us, and then when they come to and we have an aftercare program, and when they come to our program, then we do encourage them to go to somewhere like Al-Anon or the Family Support Network or whatever, you know, whatever group that they can go for to get continuing on care. Understood. Tell me this, Francis. No, absolutely crystal clear. Absolutely. Do do you or does sorry does the Rise Foundation do you receive government funding or where can people donate if they want to maybe help support your foundation? Well, that would be fantastic because to be honest, at this time we have had to actually because of the COVID nineteen crisis, we are getting an influx of calls and we are actually inundated with people looking for support. We do uh, we do phone service now. Um, which seems to suit people, um, but unfortunately, well, that means that because we have such an influx for us, we've had to take on more therapists. Yes. But as a result of COVID-19, we've had to cancel all of our fundraising uh, events, mm-hmm. like the Ata House. We had, you know, the Camino this year, we had golf classics, we had our rides, Rack and Ramble. So unfortunately, we've to cancel them all, and we don't get any government funding. So if people would consider donating, we would really appreciate it. You can go on to our uh, Facebook page, you can go on to our uh, the risefoundation.ie uh, and you can, you know, uh, R-I-S-E foundation.ie and you can go on there and put a donation onto our website. And that would be anything at all, would be so helpful. Every little bit helps. But we do try and pay well, we do pay our therapists because they deserve to be paid and they're brilliant, they're, as I say, highly skilled. So um, that's our biggest, our biggest challenge is trying to find funds to pay to make sure that the, the therapists get paid. But unfortunately, we don't get any government funding. 
And just to go over that once again, so anybody that would like to kindly donate even five euro, because as we all know, all the five euros eventually add up to a significant amount as the Late Late Show proved last Friday night. So that's going to social media, uh, Facebook or whatever, and go on to the risefoundation.ie. Lovely, lovely. Well, well, I, I, I'm hopeful that that some of our listeners will do that, Francis, and and I think it's tremendous work, genuinely do that. Um, first of all, to set up such a um, uh, organisation, but particularly in these testing times, where we're clearly, you know, people without addictions. Um, you know, are finding it difficult. So I can only imagine what what people and their family members are going through at this moment. And as you said, during these times, you have actually seen an increase in in the need for your services. Absolutely, we've been inundated with calls, um, particularly this week. And you know, I'm so glad that we are there for those people. Mm-hmm. We have a lot of family members who are in serious crisis watching their you know, parent, their partner, their adult child, their brother, their sister, going down that route of self-destruct. Mm-hmm. It can be absolutely devastating on the family member. And even though we, you know, wives can't fix the problem for them, but we can certainly help and guide and support family members in the crisis and in the trauma and, and, and help them to understand uh, the anxieties and the stress and the worry um, that they have and give them support in it. Francis, just before we go off this particular subject, can I ask, have you just got the one centre in Ireland or have you got um, all our centres dotted around Ireland? Well, at the, at the moment, um, as I say, our resources are low, but we have, um, we have programmes in Dublin, uh, but our programmes are cancelled at the moment, but we have a one-to-one counselling service in Dublin, and then we run programmes in Dublin, in Dundalk, uh, Drogheda and Navin. Um, Very good. We used to run, um, we used to have a, a, a program up on Latin Island, um, when we when we got we had sought some funding for that, um, and that was a week long program where family members would go up to Rockland for a week. Mm-hmm. Uh, but unfortunately, our funds run out for that. But I would like to think that you know we will we will be able to run those programs again. Mm-hmm. Those programs would have been cross border, cross community programs, mm-hmm. um, and worked extremely well. Mm-hmm. Very good. Okay, well done on that, Francis, and continued success in that excellent, um, excellent organisation. So we'll move on, Francis, slightly. You moved into political life in 2016. Um, what was your motivation for this, Francis, and what did you hope to achieve? And finally, what still needs to be done, in your opinion, or how? what do you feel as if you still need to do? in political life? Sure. Um, well, I suppose, you know, the inspiration really was the Rise Foundation. Um, mm. And, you know, I got frustrated, I suppose, with the lack of support and, and resources that an organisation like Rise, um, the work that we were doing and not getting. But also, you know, when you're in, an, when you're in something like the Rise Foundation, it's like a non-government organisation, mm. you end up, you know, Seeing and working alongside other homeless charities and other mental health mental health charities, and also seeing lack of support for them, and I just got a little bit frustrated. And to be honest with you, now, I suppose from my perspective, um, I decided. Somebody said to me, "Why don't you run 
for the planet. And I thought to myself, look, I run in the, in the campaign and see how it all works. Mm-hmm. You know, the chances are I won't get elected this time, but I might run again, you know, in another four or five years. And to my lovely surprise and privilege and honour, I did get elected. And I suppose I would have got elected on, you know, the fact that I, I work in the area of mental health and, and I'm very passionate around it. Um, addiction and mental health. So, yeah, I, 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 but that was back in 2016. And while I did work on those issues, and I have been working on those issues, and I feel that I need to do more work on those issues, I've also, it's amazing how you kind of, the path that kind of happened for me. I mean, when I went in to uh, Leinster House, you know, my whole focus was mental health, but you do get kind of pulled over to other um, areas that I would be also extremely passionate passionate about, and one of them is Palestine. Um, and, you know, I went out to Palestine um, myself um, back in 2000, actually two two years ago this week, um, and, you know, I, I got to visit um, Gaza and I got to visit the West Bank, and it was probably one of the most, um, I suppose, I don't, I don't know what word to put on it, but certainly life-changing for me when um, going out there and, and seeing the reality of the situation. You're, you are referring here, Francis, in 2018 to the private members' bill that you described, and I'm going to quote here, to prohibit the import and sales of goods, services and natural resources originating in illegal settlements Occupied Territories Bill, isn't that correct? That's right. We call it the Occupied Territories Bill. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, I, I introduced it into... Um, yeah, I introduced it into the Shannon back in 2018. And we did get... I mean, it got passed. It got passed to a lot of the stages. In fact, it got, to, it got passed to eight stages. Mm-hmm. Um, of the bill, and we only had two more stages to go. Sorry, six stages, and we only had two more stages to go uh, when the election was called. And mm-hmm. um, so, yeah, I suppose the bill is something I've been working on extremely hard. I'm still working on it. it the bill just explains to people what the bill is about. Exactly. It, it, the bill seeks to end Irish trade in goods produced in illegal settlements in occupied territories. Yeah. So. Funny thing is about that is that we're not talking, you know, about goods, Israeli goods. We're talking about goods produced in illegal assessments, which is beyond Israel's borders in Palestine. Yeah. Now, what we do know is that these settlements are totally illegal under international law. Mm-hmm. They're actually war crimes. And the UN, the EU, and the Irish government keep saying they're illegal. Well, despite this, Niall, the settlements continue to be built, slowly taking Palestinian land. Yeah. And it's going on, and it's going on, and it's going on, and nobody is doing anything about it, you know. And, and what's happening is they extract valuable natural resources and agricultural produce, yeah. which are exported and sold around the world. Yeah. Now, I believe this is a clear hypocrisy. So, you know, my question is like, you know, how can we condemn the settlement as illegal as theft of land and resources, but then have to buy the proceeds of this crime? Yes, exactly. No, like, you know, look, 
we all know in the West Bank and in Palestine families are kicked out of their homes, fertile family land taken off, the fruits and vegetables produced are exported um, to pay for occupation. You know, the fruits and vegetables produced are exported to pay for occupation. Mm-hmm. So buying these goods was supporting the test of Palestinian land, and I just think it's so, so wrong. So this bill for me has become probably one of the most important things I feel I've ever done in my life. Yeah. And I hope and pray that I get this bill passed and I'm hoping that this new government formation um Fianna Fáil supports this bill um, in the last erupted. Mm-hmm. And I hope now that they continue to support it. We had the Green Party supporting it. We had all of the Sinn Féin supporting it. Um, the Labour Party supported it. A lot of independents supported it. The only ones who didn't support it were the government. Um, Francis, so, ju- just on that particular point, there were calls from many political parties and elected representatives and from civic society for the, the Irish government to expel the Israeli ambassador. Um, whatever happened about that? Yeah, and, and I, I guess, uh, you know, that is ultimately my point here, you know. Look, I think the reality is here, you know, this is when, this, like, you know, I, I suppose I want to, to highlight, you know, at, at this point, you know, the bill is not just the building trade. The building job is so that it, I, can, and I can apply to illegal occupations anywhere in the world. Oh, no, I, I accept that fully, yes. Yes. And so, like, it's not EDS where, you know, we are making a, a clear distinction between Israeli goods or unaffected, you know, and the goods produced illegally outside their borders. Yeah. So, you know, I just, I, I think we need to be careful, I suppose, um, you know, on, on, on how, how we can deal with this. Yeah. And we have to be careful in even how we speak about it. Yeah, understood. Absolutely. Francis, another, um, maybe I have this wrong, but obviously you can set me straight here. Something else you called for in your time as a senator, you called for alcohol not to be sold next to nappies in supermarkets. Could you could you tell us a little bit more about that particular? It sounds, it sounds like I'm a real, it sounds like I'm a real kind, you know, and I understand that, look at I want to start off by saying I'm not anti-alcohol by any means. No. So I just need to be clear on that. Of course. You know, and I do think that, you know, obviously alcohol, you know, can can connect people, you know, and if it's, if it's done in a healthy way. Mm-hmm. I, I suppose the Public Health Alcohol Bill was a piece of legislation that was really introduced by the Department of Health the honest kitchen. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I kind of came in, it had been it had actually been introduced when Leo Radcliffe was the Minister for Health. Mm-hmm. Um, and I came in to I was elected into the Shannon and I was I think it was probably one of the first things that I, I worked on. And I was very passionate about the public health alcohol bill because as you well know, I work on the front line 
um, where families are impacted by alcohol harm. Mm-hmm. Right? So I'm working in the cold phase and I'm seeing uh, the devastation that alcohol is causing, not only just for individuals, but to families. Um, and the impact I see on a daily basis is devastating. So, what does that mean? Let me just explain what the Public Health Alcohol Bill is. Yes. Um, It was four very simple measures that was introduced by the Department of Health, this bill, right? Or by whoever, whoever, sorry, whatever, I think it was initially. Mm -hmm. Uh, The four measures were labelled. The first one was labelling. So, that is the labelling on the actual, a little bit like what was put on cigarettes. Yes. Yes, a closed, locked, secure cabinet. I think we all could appreciate what you're saying, Francis, absolutely. And and it's to encourage people and industries to be responsible, I guess. Would that be a fair comment? Well, the industry really was was, was completely and utterly against Mm -hmm. any of these measures because it was going to impact their profit. Mm -hmm. That's the basic line. You know, we 
health before profit. Absolutely. And this is a public health issue. And all we were putting in was four simple measures to, to uh, protect public health. Mm-hmm. And what I was amazed at was um, the, the impact of the lobbying and the impact and the power of the industry with politicians, of the, of the alcohol industry with politicians. Yeah. Um, yeah, they're just protecting their profits, right? So you can understand what they're trying to do, but it was very, very uh, shocking because I was just a new senator at the time and I wasn't aware. And I, my job in there was to, I suppose, make sure that I convinced and persuade politicians that this was a very positive measure for, for very simple but positive measures that were going to really impact public health in this country. Certainly. And no, 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 no. Listen, I asked the question, um, and I think it's vital that that you know that the public and our listeners um, understand the work that you and all our uh, you know senators or TDs or MPs or MLAs do. Uh, so, so no, I think it's vitally important. One thousand five hundred hospital beds are taken up due to alcohol related issues every day. Yeah, and two hundred thousand children are living in homes with parental alcohol misuse. So like something needed to be done and that's why and these measures were four simple measures. Mm-hmm. It wasn't banned and I'm not anti alcohol. It wasn't banned um, as alcohol. It was just putting these very four simple measures in yeah. No, 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 absolutely. Um, uh, it's very interesting to, to hear you speak in detail about that, Francis. Tell me this just before uh, we're approaching the hour mark here in this podcast. Um, just before I finish on the, on the more serious things, do, do you feel as if, Francis, it was important for you to be an independent senator as opposed to being maybe the people would see it, the advantages to being attached to some bigger political party that may have more clout? Yeah, I suppose I just, I, you know, I'll be really honest with you here now. I, I feel that um, I like being independent. I like making up my own mind on things. Yes. Um, I feel I would be worried about being in a party that if there was something I didn't agree with, yes. that I couldn't I, I, I have to be true to myself and you know and I, it's not that I don't get me wrong I admire people for being in a party mm-hmm. you know what I mean and I think it's wonderful for me I just like being independent and I like to make my own mind up about things um, and that's really important for me yeah no so, and, and, and I can appreciate I that I steer clear of party politics I just stick to what my beliefs are I stick to what I want to work on and that works for me and I'm very passionate about everything I've, I've ever done in Leicester House. You know, and my next, I suppose what I plan to do going forward, obviously I'm going to be working on the Occupy Territory Sale a lot and hopefully try and get it into, um, and try and keep it engaged in the government formation that it's still on their radar. But I also would like to start working now really on the housing and homelessness issue mm-hmm. um, and I think that's going to be something and I've always wanted to do that so 
I think going forward now I'm going to be very focused on that as well as mental health. Very good and all uh, all the best with that Francis, absolutely. Okay Francis, um, this is the part of the podcast where most of our guests fear the most because we kind of go off subject here and speak about more lighthearted issues. Um, so um, I, I know you'll really look forward to this. So here we go. Who inspire, <laughs> Who inspires you, Francis? Um, who inspires me? Well, I suppose I could safely say, say uh, I absolutely really look up to, and he probably wouldn't appreciate this, his brother Kevin down here, um, who runs um, the, the, the kitchen down here, down in, in the centre of Dublin. I've heard of him, yeah. Um, he's, a, he's the most beautiful man. Um, he's no ego. He gets up every morning, he's in his 80s now, gets up in the morning and he does his work and he gets stuck in to feeding the homeless and um, looking after people. And he just has most lovely, lovely way about him. And as I said, he's a very well-known man in Dublin, um, but an extremely humble man. Um, so he would be somebody that I suppose I would look up to and I would be certainly, he would be an inspiration to me. He sounds like an inspirational sort of a man, okay. Yeah, he is amazing. Francis, the best piece of advice that you've ever been given? Um, I suppose um, more recently, you know, maybe in the last, you know, 10 years, I suppose, um, it's almost like, I don't know if it's given to me or if it's just something I kind of picked up along the way in my journey of life. But I genuinely believe that Personal freedom um, is not being, not feeling or being impacted by the views of other people. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Yeah. So, so I learned uh, probably maybe in the last eight to ten years that freedom is not really caring what anybody else thinks about you. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yes. So if, if I was to worry about what people thought about me, I would do nothing. You know? I wouldn't do anything. I'd be afraid. What, what all our people think about us is none of our business. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, now, there would have been a time in my life where that would have, you know, I would have been maybe shackled would be the word or was kind of worried about, oh God, and maybe I shouldn't do this, maybe, you know. But for now, it's unbelievable freedom to not really care about what anybody thinks about you and just follow your own, you know, your own beliefs and follow your own heart and you know, and I think, personally, I mean, I don't think I would have went into politics if, if I, you know what I mean? Initially, I would have thought people probably think, who does she think she is going into politics yes. or whatever? Yes. You know, but I just thought, I'm going to do it. I probably would have introduced the Occupied Territories Bill. I probably, I mean, the things that I've done in Leinster House are not the most popular things, trust me. Yes, I can right? imagine. <laughs> the alcohol bill is not something that's popular. No. Um, the Occupied Territories Yes. A new Ireland is not something. It's like, you know, so these are things that I just think, right, I, these are things that I feel strongly about. Mm -hmm. And therefore, I have to follow my heart on these issues. So, um, I hope that makes sense. No, it does. I'm not worrying about what anybody thinks about me. 
I follow my heart, I do what I believe is right, and I've only got to answer to myself. That's all I have to answer to. Is this the right thing to do? Yes, this is the right thing to do. So now you have to do it. And that's really what I do. You're to be commended for all of that, Francis. Absolutely. Francis, we haven't really touched on your musical career um, here, ironically, because as soon as somebody mentioned Francis Black to me originally, you know, say if I was dis- discussing music and your name or Mary's name or anybody's name, I would automatically associate you with music. But um, if you could uh, duet with any singer, dead or alive, who would they be and why, Francis? Yes. Like Lynn album. Um, it's still possibly one of my that one in Carol King's Tapestry, still my all time favourite album. Um uh, it would probably be James Taylor. Um he's yeah I I, I mean I, I can't say anything other than he's just one of my favourite artists mm-hmm. and sing with him would be an absolute dream come true and I dreamt from a very young age of someday singing with them. I don't think I will now at this point, but you never know. <laughs> you never know, is right. Never say never. Yeah. Francis, who is the most famous person you have in your phone book? And before you answer that now, coming from somebody like yourself, I, I can only imagine it would be very difficult to name one person, but um, we always ask this question to all our guests. I know, and I think I might get this if that's all right. For number reasons, firstly, I don't want to say something yes. more well-known than somebody else, you know what I mean? Of and course. I do have a lot of numbers in my phone. Yes. And, and I just, I, I, you know, I kind of feel a little bit, feel a little bit uncomfortable. Yes, no, I listen, I get... I, I, of course it is. Of course it is. Well, well, at least now I I can say that you're probably the most famous person's number I have on my I'm phone book. <laughs> Francis, if your five-year-old self suddenly found themselves inhabiting your current body, what would your five-year-old self do first? <laughs> oh my God, I wasn't expecting this question. Ask me that again. My five-year-old self suddenly found themselves inhabiting your current body. What would your five-year-old self first do? Uh, funny. Absolutely, I would, yes, mine definitely ice cream. Uh, it would probably be, I don't know, maybe a Solero or something. Yes, like that. That, that's, a, that's a, an excellent answer. I would, eat, I would eat a load of ice cream. Yes. Now, now, I'm going to ask you two or three more quick, quick questions here. And I apologize because I haven't given you any warning of these, but don't worry, they're not serious. Have you ever sent a WhatsApp or a text message to the wrong person? Oh no, I'm not, I'm not looking at any details. <laughs> yeah, I just remember the feeling. I just remember the feeling where the blood drains from your face. <laughs> your heart beats a hundred to, to a minute and it's just really awful. But 
Yes, I have. I think we've all been there. Francis, do you know anyone that really reminds you of a character in a TV show or a film? Oh, um, was he Biff or somebody who used to beat him up now? Well, yeah, something on those lines. I know he's like your man. He's like your man in Back to the Future, the baggy, and he was t- took over the whole of the, the city and you know, <laughs> one disaster after another. So, yeah. Yeah. Okay, we'll, we'll move swiftly along, and I promise you these are nearly over, these awkward questions. If you had the power to shrink any object and carry it with you in your pocket, which item would it be? Oh dear. Um, it, it has to be a, a knife. Couldn't be any grandchildren, could it? Well, like it happened everywhere with me. I'm surprised. I thought you would have said a musical instrument there, maybe. Yeah, well, I know. Well, the first thing that comes to mind, if I could have the grandchildren with me day and night, I'd have them with me day and night. Um, it, 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 not so much an instrument. It wouldn't be an instrument, no. Um, Okay. Uh, probably, I don't know, uh, maybe a, something on the lines of a push bike that I could, if I could bring it with me places and then when I get somewhere I could cycle for a cycle. I don't know. Yes, yes, that's, that's interesting. And, and I promise you only two more of these questions. <laughs> if you were arrested with no explanation, what would your friends and family assume you had done? <laughs> Anyway, <laughs> yes, I can imagine. Yes, okay. Last question If you were the president of Ireland, assuming the president of Ireland had the powers to do this just for one day, what rule would you change and implement, and why would you pick this particular rule? Yes, very um, good. That would be, you know, there's so many other things, you know. But but I think that's a very important one, particularly given yeah. the, the, the response you said um, in the podcast, Francis, that moving on to the homeless is going to be your next, yeah. Um, yeah. But I'd also make sure that the occupied territory bill was passed. Yes. So I'm, I'm going to go second them. Of course, of course. Well, Francis Black, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you today. You have been very open and honest with your answers and opinions. And just before we go, um, if I could, the Shared Ireland team would like to acknowledge once again all our health staff and frontline workers across the island of Ireland because without their courageous efforts all the time, but in particular this past six weeks, couple of months, we all would find ourselves in obviously a lot um, worse position. Uh, I'll just give you an opportunity, Francis, uh, if you would like to say anything on that note yourself. Well, I would like to, to 
workers at this time um, who are doing an unbelievable. Actually, they are an inspiration. Absolutely. And to many people in, in, in this country and on this island. And I am so deeply grateful. You know, the frontline workers who are working in the house, but also people who are working in, 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 in our local shops, you know, um, people who are who, who are having to work because of vital services, uh, and those who, you know, who can't work now, you know, who are staying at home That's right. because of the fact that they can't go into work and are choosing to stay at home or maybe have lost their job, you know, I want to say, you know, look, I know this is a very, very difficult time, but, you know, please know that if we can get through this very, very tough time with our health, with our health intact, you know, with our families doing okay, then it will be worth it, as tough and all as it might be. And, you know, my heart goes out to those who have lost their job. We try and keep it in the moment, try and keep it in the day, you know, and, and, and not get into that anxious place. But I just want to say thank you to everybody who are sticking to the guidelines, uh, who are doing the best. We're, we're all working together. We're all in this together. We all have good days and bad days. Hang on in there and be, be kind to yourselves. And, and hopefully we will get through this and it will all be worth it in the end. And not forgetting those families who have lost loved ones to COVID-19. Um, I want to send out a message of, of, of sympathy and condolences to them as well. Very well said, Francis, and I echo that. And on that note, Francis Black, you have been very kind to allow us to play this podcast out with um, a little track from yourself. So I hope our listeners enjoy it. And if you did enjoy this podcast, folks, a like and a retweet would be much appreciated. Take care. Speak soon. Bye-bye. So